chapter 4 this morning, in verses 18 through 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed them. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Who here watches YouTube? It's not a trick question. Every, you're so like, everybody watch YouTube, get out of here. Um, no, some of you guys are watching online on YouTube right now. So if, watching YouTube in and of itself is an evil. Uh, I love to watch the YouTube. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, fun. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Everybody just simultaneously check their phones, make sure it's off. Um, uh, I, lo- I, love, I love watching YouTube. And one of the channels that I love to watch is I-, I love to watch these people that have sold everything that they have and are living on a sailboat sailing around the world. I, I don't know why it's just like a fantasy of mine uh, to sell everything and go and live on a boat and go into the world. And so I, I don't do that. So I just watch people that do that. And it seems very interesting and fun and all those other things. Uh, it all makes sense except for in my life, that's never going to happen ever. I'm never going to sell everything, buy a boat and go and live on the sea. It's just not going to happen. Uh, one, I don't know how to do that. Like I don't, I don't know anything about sailing. Uh, secondly, I don't have a boat. Three, it sounds really scary. (laughs) I I don't know how I would repel pirates out in the middle of the open seas. And fourthly, God has not called me to that. God not called me to that at all. Um, We, you, I, together, we have to do what God has called us to do. And all of us have been called to leave our proverbial boats and go and follow Jesus. In this story, Jesus calls the disciples. He goes and he finds Peter and Andrew and he calls and they immediately follow. He sees two other brothers and he calls them as well. And as we walk through this story today, really really what I'm hoping that you're going to get out of this uh, sermon is that you will want to follow Jesus even more than you are. And I know that many of you here this morning are followers of Jesus and you'd say, yeah, I already did the following Jesus part. But here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that there's probably parts of your heart that you're not fully following Jesus. And maybe in this sermon, God will kind of uh, prick your spirit a little bit and say, man, this is an area of your life uh, where you need to follow me more. And if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, my hope for you is at the end of this sermon that you would become a Christian and say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. So what, what can we get out of this sermon? Uh, the first thing is this, is that when Jesus calls, we must respond. We must respond. See, I was always taught as a child that when an adult asks you to do something, you do it without commentary. Was anybody else raised that way? Uh, I don't know what's going on with these kids nowadays, but everything's a discussion. It's not a discussion. Once an adult tells you to do something, you do it. And then afterwards, maybe you can ask why you did it. Uh, You can ask questions when you're an adult, but when you're a child, you don't get to ask questions. Now, some of you were not raised that way. And because you weren't raised that way, you think that because you were pushing back in rebellion towards your parents, that you get to do that with God. That when Jesus asks you to do something or tells you to do do something, that somehow you get to have a discussion. Like, hey, can can I understand what you're asking of me? Can I have all the details. Uh, and that doesn't work this way when it comes to the things of God. Um, I love in the scripture, 
in verse 20 and in verse 22, it says, they immediately left their nets and followed them. Verse 23, and they immediately left the boat and their father and that they followed them. Jesus shows up and he calls these guys and then they immediately get moving to do what God has asked them to do through Jesus. There's immediately, and there's a certainty to that word. There's a powerful response to that word. It's a right now I'm going to do it type of word. Now, for a guy like myself that loves to do things immediately, it resonates with my spirit. Yeah. <laughs> On the Strengths Finder test, I'm an activator. I'm somebody that likes to get things done. And I love to start things. I love, and, and if you know me, you know that I will start things without knowing most of the information or having a plan. I, I like to jump and then midair kind of decide what I'm doing. Now, who else is like that? Like, let's just get going. My people. Amen. Now, which of you have a plan that you think through and go through? You're the type of people that hold people like me back. <laughs> but God uses us both, right? I, I surround myself with, with thinkers and planners because they keep me from a pastor. Maybe you should have thought this through. Um, and so I, I enjoy the immediately. Now, I'll pick on you planners just a little bit this morning is that sometimes you can get analysis paralysis to the point of where you keep thinking and planning and you never get to action. Now, I'm not saying that the people like me are, are better off because we can make great grave mistakes uh, by uh, not thinking through things. And I know that every once in a while it works out okay. But um, you don't want to become a person that overthinks things so much that you never get around to doing anything. Jesus to these guys asks them, says to them, and then they immediately go and start to do it. Now, I share with you guys a lot of my military stories. Uh, why? Because you still are not emailing me your failures to use in my sermons. So I have to uh, go back and use some of my military experience. But one of the things I learned in the military was utter and complete obedience with no questions asked. When a, when a sergeant tells you to do something, it's yes, sergeant, moving sergeant to your location, sergeant. There, there's, it's really not up for any sort of discussion. And I share those stories with you because I, I was broken as a man and as a leader to learn submission in the military. It was something that the, the military taught me that the world never did. It's because you, there's no discussion. You just do as you're told. You trust higher. You trust that the, the, what they're telling you is the right thing to do. And so as Christians, that directly applies to our relationship with God, where we can trust him and do what he asks and say, you know what? I don't have to fully understand it. And I don't even have to fully explain it. I don't know where we fell into this way where all of a sudden obedience to God has to be completely understood and explained to people that just refuse to be obedient to God. You say, well, you know, I don't understand that. I'm like, well, I don't have to understand everything about this book. I just have to be obedient to what it asked me to do. Maybe I'll figure it out when I get to heaven. Maybe God will explain it to me then. But even if I don't, I don't really care. I just want to be obedient to what God has asked me to do. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty six, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus says people that do not follow his words are foolish. And if you refuse to follow the commands of Jesus, Jesus says you're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on their house and it fell. And it was a great fall. It's interesting, the people that fall the hardest are typically the most disobedient. 
It's, ne- it's never just like a slight misstep. It's, it's ob- disobedience upon disobedience that turns into, as Jesus says, a great fall. Why do you argue with Mr. Jesus? What benefit is there to that? None. But people do it all the time. We know the truth. We hear the truth, but we choose not to respond. It's the, I think my way is better view of Christianity. And you have to settle this thing in your spirit to say, you know what? I'm going to be obedient to God, regardless of what people may think about me or say about me. And and I'm just going to have to learn to be fine with it because being obedient to Jesus is more more important than getting the uh, praise of men. See, some of you have been going to church for years and know exactly what God has asked of you and refuse to move. You refuse to move. See, the Bible is a book where the obedient are praised and the disobedient are scorned. Amen. It's really what the, what the Bible is about. It's, it's a book about where we see people that are obedient that get good things and the people that are disobedient don't receive the same things as the obedient. It, it, it's almost like God was giving us slight clues of how we should live our lives. To learn and say, you know what? Well, obedience seems to be the path of God, so maybe I should be obedient. We all know this. It's not a new revelation. But we all, myself included, at times will operate in delayed obedience. Do you know what delayed obedience is? Disobedience. It really is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Are you dragging your feet on Jesus? Has he come by while you're standing there with your nets and spoken to you? But you've been taking your time and saying, you know, I'm just going to catch a couple more fish. It's going to take a little bit more time. When I get around to it, then I'll start responding to you. And, and then this is where the, the, faith with, uh, the faith without works crowd comes in and says, you know what, Pastor? You're, you're putting a yoke of bondage on people and you're saying that they have to be obedient. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm not saying anything that the Bible does not say. Jesus said and people respond. People say, well, Jesus paid it all and he does pay it. He did pay it all, but Jesus doesn't do it all. You have to get these things moving. You have to get these things moving. He doesn't call us to just sit and do nothing. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is obedience to God's word. That's what it says. James 2.14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, these are challenging words for those of us that struggle with taking action and being responsive. This following Jesus is a right now, get to work, let's go endeavor. That's literally what it is. And, and, and as, as the word goes forth in a sermon or, or any other place where God's spirit will speak to you, God demands obedience. He demands that we would respond. Matthew seven twenty one says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Are you walking out the will of the father in heaven? Are you, are you going every day and saying, you know what, God, I want to follow your will. I want to do what you're asking of me, no matter what it may cost me, father, I will do what you're asking me to do. Now, years ago, God had laid on my heart to perform an action for somebody. And it was a costly financial action that God had asked for me to do. And I will tell you that I was reluctant. And the reason why I was reluctant is because it was a big, costly financial action. I really wanted to make sure it was God. And and so I prayed on it and I delayed on it and I thought about it because I was like, God, if this is you, tell my wife too, because... uh, (laughs) 
Because then that way I could just live in disobedience without having to really act on it. Because I, I just frankly believe that God talks to Crystal a whole lot quicker and clearer than me. And so we were, we were, we were driving in the car and... And, and I can tell you where we're at. We're just come off Highway 18, uh, getting onto Maple Valley Highway, kind of by the fire station, police station, McDonald's, if you know that intersection. And Crystal said, honey, do you know what I think the Lord's laying on our heart to do? And I was like, no, no, I do not. <laughs> She's like, I think that we're supposed to do this. And in and, and, and my stomach, I was like, dang it, that's exactly right. And then you always know when you're questioning God because your voice kind of goes a little higher. Like, oh, you know. Like, ah, ah. It's like, honey, I know God told you to do this too, didn't you? I was like, yes. He told me like a week ago. So why didn't you tell me? Because I didn't want to do it. Too costly. So right there, we're, uh, we're at the, and I said, you know what? We're going to call that person right now and we're going to be obedient. We're just going to like, we're going to call them right now and tell them uh, that we're going to do this thing for them because God has told us to do it. Now there's two parts of that story. One is, is that Crystal and I together were obedient. I was disobedient for an extended period of time until the Crystal Holy Ghost came in and (laughs) set me right. But the end result was obedience. James describes the people who refuse to answer the call of God on their life. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Saints of God, we must be diligent in our callings. We must give it our full attention. We cannot let up. We can't. This demands our diligence. Second Peter one five, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add into your faith, virtue and to virtue knowledge. Are you giving your full diligence to your walk with Christ? Now, some of you know, know this and some of you may not, but I used to have a body like a Greek God. Um, I, uh, dude, all I preach up here is truth. I, um, I mean, I mean, I had 8% body fat doing reps with 350 on the bench, but it's whatever, you know, and, uh, but I'm not that man anymore. (laughs) I'm a 45 year old guy that really loves ice cream. I, uh, like ice cream and donuts and if it's fried and it's sugary, I'm in, like, I'm, I'm just in, I just don't care anymore. Like at all. Like I, my, my goal is if I ever have to take off my shirt at a beach that the guys would never go, bro, like that's all I wanted. Like, I just want to blend in. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and back in those years, which it's funny, the older you get, the closer you think that is, but the farther it really is. Like this is when I was 20, this is like 25 years ago. Right. But I still feel like we're going to, yeah, got it. Right. <laughs> Time's passed. But I got to tell you that when, when, during that season, when, when all everything was dialed in as far as my physicality, it took such a measure of diligence. Like 
<clears throat> you have to weigh your food and you got to count your calories and you have to work out for a couple hours a day and you live your life in such a way that literally you push back relationships. Like everybody's like, hey, let's go hang out. And I'm like, what are you guys eating? Because you don't even want to be around what other people are eating because you know you're going to slip and fall off so that one day you can take off your shoe and be like, sup? And everybody around you is like, jerk. You're like, yeah, but I swear to you. Listen, man, nobody cares. Like, and the people that do care just care that you make the rest of them feel bad. Just eat a donut and make everybody feel better. You know what I'm saying? Why, why do I share that story with you? Uh, the, the reason why I share that story with you is one, I think it's funny. Uh, and, and number two is that the spiritual application is this, is that when, when it comes to physicality, a lot of times we're so diligent because we are trying to accomplish something, but then it comes to our spirituality and we think that it's just going to happen by happenstance, man. Dude, you're not getting spiritual abs eating brownies. Like it's just like, it's just not happening. It requires your full attention all day, every day. If you want to walk, walk strongly with God, it requires your full attention in the same way that having a certain type of physique uh, requires your full attention. But don't, don't live this game where you uh, like start a new diet every single week and you, you know, start a new thing. Everyone's like, oh, I really care about how I look and how I feel. Like, no, you don't, man. You're just living your life. And the same way you can't do that with your spiritual walk where you're just like, well, I really care about my walk with God on Sundays. And then it just goes like this the rest of the week. And then it comes back up on Sundays. No, man, it's an all day, every day. 24 7 365 endeavor there's no cheat days man but there is if you're not being diligent in your diet amen did you guys eat pie this weekend ah thank you i just want to say from your pastor and this is biblical the fourth piece is sin it's the first and second you're fine that depending on size third or fourth piece could fall into sin See, Titus 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but in works, they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. See, the Bible is very clear that talk is cheap. Saying saying that you're going to respond, saying that you're going to be obedient is not what God is looking for. Because Titus even says, he says, they profess this, but in their works, they deny him. We can't say, well, I'm an obedient follower of God. I do what God is asking me to do and just say it. And then like our actions don't reflect that at all. We can't be just merely professors. We have to be doers because talk is cheap. Amen seven of you. That's great. The rest of you, I'm going to go over this point again. (laughs) Here's the next part of the scripture is that when Jesus asks, we must give, we must give whatever Jesus asks of us, we must give to him. Now, whenever a preacher starts talking about giving people grab their wallets because they think that whenever a pastor is going to talk about giving that somehow it has to be with money. Um, and, and then they, they uh, unrighteously assume that if a preacher is going to talk about giving her money, then something must be awry within the church finances to necessitate him talking about giving because there would be no other reason that he would talk about giving other than this. Those are both lies from the pit of hell. Um, I, I always like to clarify to people so that people don't have questions so that you can really receive what God asked you to say. This is a giving generous church. Okay. Um, 2020 versus 2019, um, we're, we're, our giving is 7% higher this year than it was last year. Okay. We, 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 uh, our total giving for 2019, this number was X. We reached that number in October of this year. Okay. So when I talk about giving, it's not because 
Uh, we, we need more. And that's why we can say every single week, God doesn't need your money, man. <laughs> you need to be obedient. But, and for those of you that are being disobedient, then the Lord will convict you today. But I don't want people thinking like, well, I am being generous. And now he's saying this. Oh, man, I'm just preaching what God put in the word, right? Now, mind you, that 7% is above and beyond the building campaign. That, the building campaign, that's completely separate to that. We've done hundreds of thousand dollars for the uh, building campaign. This isn't a backdoor way to talk about money. It's just where we're at in scripture. But what we can see in this scripture is this, is that you cannot get away from the fact that part of this story is these guys giving up uh, their monetary well-being. Look at the story. Here's, here's, here's these uh, uh, two brothers that are working for their father, Zebedee. And Zebedee's there. And, and, and we read these stories. I mean, this is just a couple uh, uh, words of scripture, but you we really miss the, the, the deep parts of it where Zebedee is a man who's a fisherman. It's his trade, right? And, and I don't know, does anybody even know anybody who's a full-time fisherman? Like, I don't know anybody. You do, you know one, one person in the room, okay? It's rare. It's a little bit easier up here because we know some people that probably uh, are commercial up in Alaska, but like, it's rare. And so we think about fishing like, oh, some guy's out there with, you know, Rod and Ariel and his sons are there and they're just hanging out. This is his livelihood. This is everything that he does to provide for his family. Zebedee had sons and he's looking at his sons and saying, these guys are going to take over the family business one day. These guys are going to be in charge one day. And now my productivity has gone up 66% now that I've got these sons that are helping me to catch more fish. So this monetary increase that comes from catching more fish is going to affect my family. And this itinerant preacher comes through and says, hey, give me your sons. Give me your livelihood. Give me the means by which you provide to your family because I need them to accomplish what I came on this earth to do. And Zebedee doesn't scoff at it at all. He just goes, okay, you can have my sons. You can have my livelihood. You can have uh, the means by which I was going to support my family. Now, a lot of commentators talk about it and they say, well, uh, some say from Luke that maybe they had heard uh, Jesus preach before. Some people say, well, maybe the, the, the family of Zebedee had been watching and waiting for Messiah and they see the Messiah has come. And so now they trust and know that, that Jesus is the Messiah. So they willfully give their greatest gift, their sons, their livelihood their financial stability to Jesus and say, do you want Jesus? You can have my best because I know that what you're doing for the kingdom is going to have far reaching implications. There's a sermon in there somewhere. It speaks to us somewhere here. Here's what we know about this uh, man, Zebedee. We know he was a fisherman. We know he had sons. We know he gave them up. And the, the Bible, it's interesting. It doesn't really talk much about Zebedee past this point. There's a couple other scriptures uh, later on that talks about it. In Matthew 20, 20, it says the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something and said, what do you wish? And he, and he said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand, one on the other left uh, on the left and one in your kingdom. What we do know is that early on Zebedee gives his sons and then they follow Jesus's ministry for the next few years because they're with Jesus at the end of his ministry. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 says that the, the mother of Zebedee was there at Jesus's crucifixion. And so the gift that Zebedee gave to Jesus and his sons and his livelihood carried Jesus through his ministry. But then they, the family came alongside Jesus and walked with him throughout his ministry. That was the level and the depth of the commitment of their sacrifice that they're willing to do. Jesus asks it of them and they completely give it over to him without question. I always like to talk about what the Bible doesn't say. Zebedee doesn't 
excuse me, Zebedee doesn't question Jesus. He doesn't say, well, why are you asking this, man? What are you going to do with it? You know, I, I, are you going to use this to buy a donkey and use this to, you know, buy bread for your disciples? Man, I heard you got this guy Judas is going to show up and take my money. Like, I'm not giving you my best stuff. No, he just says, you know what? I'm going to be obedient. Jesus is asking it of me. I'm just going to give it to him. Here, here's what I know. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God was well pleased with Zebedee's sacrifice, even though he didn't get mentioned in the scripture for his gift at all. Like God was pleased with it because God was pleased that Zebedee was obedient. It may have gone unnoticed during that time. I think for many of us, we probably kind of missed that part of the scriptures. We blazed through it, the gift that Zebedee is, has given. But his gift of his sons grew the kingdom of God. The gospel went forward because his sons became Jesus' first disciples. What an awesome, admirable, loving, sacrificial gift that Zebedee gave. At what level are you willing to give sacrificially to Jesus? Are you willing to give your time, your money, your skills, your life, your family? What's the limit of your sacrifice? What are you willing to give? And, and, and people, I get it, man. Some people are just life worshipers. They love their life and they love their families. And they, they set these limits and they say, like, I'm, I'll do this, but I won't do that. And that just doesn't work in God's economy. It just doesn't work that way at all. Um, and, and, and hmm. yeah, I'm just going to say it. It'll be fine. You guys do it. All right. Here's the thing, man. Like, uh, and, and this is to parents. Uh, so, sometimes parents turn their kids into an idol and, and, and they, they, especially when it comes to the things of God and the things of the church and, and, and being a Christian is being in church. Being a Christian is serving and giving and all these other things. It's, it's, an all, it's all hands on deck, we're serving God type of thing. And what happens is, is that uh, a pastor will say, well, this, this is uh, you know, a time to be sacrificial. And then parents will sometimes think in their mind, they'll say, well, that's going to affect my kids too negatively, so I'm not going to do that. Or, or I don't, I don't want to have to volunteer for that because, you know, Little so-and-so's got to do whatever, and they're going to get tired of being in church. But here, here's what I can say categorically now after being in uh, pastor of this church for 17 years. My kids have been here every day the church has been opened, mostly for the last 17 years. They both are great kids. They both love the Lord, and they don't hate God. Same thing for the Alexanders. Like the Alexander kids, they love the Lord, they follow God, and they were here just as much. And, and, and really, I, I'm not being prideful about it. I'm just being simple about it to say, you know what, if, if you choose to make the things of God at the beginning of your life and you offer up your kids, your kids aren't going to heaven because they're good at sports. Your kids aren't going to heaven because they have the best toys. They're not going to heaven because, you know, they have the best experiences. They're going to heaven based on what Jesus Christ does in their life. And so if you say, well, how does this work? All you do is you just bring your kids along with you, whatever you do. You say, this is what serving God looks like. And so then when they become adults, they end up on the worship team. They end up doing service manager on a Sunday. My son got up this morning, got down here at eight o'clock. He's like, dad, I got to do service manager. I'm like, you're on the service manager team. He's like, yeah, they got me in there. And and it's like, (laughs) well, my kids don't complain about serving God. You, you can't set these limits. With, and, and again, I, I don't know why I always have to clarify these things because people say, hey, you think you're so good. Listen, man, I'm Naval Lint, okay? 
But, but I'm come to a point in my life where I've been somewhat faithful in areas that I can say like, you know what, I think this works. Like, and, and I would, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't share with you and say, you know what, we've kind of done this and, and it works with our kids. So it probably would work with your kids too. Teach them how to be obedient to God. Offer up your best gift. Because honestly, as a parent, your kids are your best gift and you're just afraid like, oh, I don't want to give that to God. Man, I gave my kids to God and I, I, I made the ministry over over my kids and now my kids love Jesus and they're not upset with God and they're not upset with anything. They call people from church they didn't even know, auntie and uncle. I mean, gosh, man, things turn out just fine. See, the Bible says in Luke chapter 12 that storing up for yourself and not being generous with God is not good. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're, if you hold on to your stuff and you don't give it over to God, that, that, that's, you know what? I'm going to read it to you because you guys don't believe it. If you guys would have said, all said amen, it wouldn't happen. But now we're going to read it. Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through. You guys getting this this morning? All right. 16 through 21. He spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And therefore I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, fool. It's funny. (laughs) Jesus called him a fool for being, uh, not taking action. And then he says, fool again for not being generous. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, I've invested my whole life in the kingdom. My whole life, my, my, my livelihood, my family, everything about my life is, is invested in the kingdom of God. And, and God has proved himself faithful throughout the decades of my life of serving him, that he will take care of every last part of it. But the challenge of scripture is that Jesus says, you want, if I'm asking you to be generous and you don't be, and you're not generous, you're a fool. You're a toddler. So y'all remember that scripture, that sermon from Wednesday night, you're a toddler. God always blesses generosity. He always blesses obedience. See, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 18, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Friends, stinginess is not of God. We're supposed to be ridiculously generous with no expectations. And if you're expecting people to receive your generosity, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You do it because God has asked you to it and because God has been generous with us. How can we not be generous in the way in which God has been generous to us? And here's the part of it as well is that you learn generosity in the church. You learn it in the church. God demands that we would be generous towards one another. That, that, that as they say, charity starts at home. We, we have to learn to be generous one with another. There are people that are around you that, that, that God wants you to be generous with. Not, not just with your money. I mean, writing a check is easy. What's hard is giving somebody your time, which is giving somebody your energy, which is walking with somebody as they're going through it. And God says, you know what? I want you to do that in the household of God. That's, that's what I want you to do. And, and, and uh, just let me give you a little slight teaching here. Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, and, and I use this as an example because so many people twist the scriptures 
and they use them for outside of the church. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't help people outside of the church. We bless other people in the community. We do, Before COVID, we do outreach. We'll get back to it. Uh, th- those things are good. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to twist scriptures that aren't meant for that for something that is meant towards us. That's something that we're supposed to be doing. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory and the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. And the King will say to those on His right hand, Come you blessed to my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came and visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you in a, a, a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Watch this. Everybody always uses those scriptures as a means of why we need to uh, clothe the naked and feed the hungry. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We should. This scripture specifically, Jesus says in verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. So the, the, the wicked of the earth are not Jesus's brethren. His disciples are his brethren. And so when you know a disciple of Jesus that you are generous towards, you are being generous towards God, according to the scripture. If a person that is overwhelmed with life and you come in and say, man, I'm going to help you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be generous with you. Jesus says, you are helping me because these people are my disciples. Does that make sense? First John three seventeen. but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? This is why it's always so encouraging during the holidays or other times when you see the family of God coming around and picking up the orphans and the widows within the church, the people that don't have a table to sit at at a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or, or somebody that needs an extra couple bucks to be able to get to work or whatever those things. When the people of God come along, the other uh, Christians and people of God and, and, and are generous towards them, it blesses the heart of God. It really does. It does, and we have to learn to be obedient to that. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It really just boils down to selfishness. Get so caught up in yourself. The other part of it is that some people are limited in their generosity because they're not in a position to give because they're overextended in their lives. Not just financially, but time-wise or commitment-wise. You have to remind yourself to not become so emotionally, physically, or spiritually overdrawn. You have nothing to share. Plan your generosity. Be prepared for it. There's something that I have to deal with all the time. Sometimes I'm overscheduled that I don't have a lot of leeway in my schedule. And so sometimes I sit and I'll uh, meet someone or talk to somebody or be out in the community and someone will start to talk to me and want my time. And all I'm thinking is, man, I got to get to the next thing. I don't have time for you right now. It's because it's because I'm overscheduled. You have to create, uh, you know, places in your life where you have a little bit of wiggle room. Amen. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. We have to prepare ourselves to be able to be generous with people. Amen? Uh, Zebedee could not have given uh, of his sons and his livelihood if he didn't have a livelihood from which to give Jesus. 
And so like Zebedee, he was prepared to give. Here's the third part of it. Wherever Jesus goes, we want to follow. Amen. Amen. These guys didn't know where they were going or what it was going to take, but they followed. And apparently they stuck with the call. We talked about how they were there at his crucifixion, how uh, their mothers were able to say like, hey, you know, and that's another scripture we'll get into in a couple of years when we get there later on in Matthew. But um, they, they followed through with their action. They followed Jesus throughout their lives. This isn't a story about two guys that dropped their nets and gave up their boat and went and followed Jesus. This is a story of guys that were obedient to Jesus over the course of their lives. They continued to walk with God because following is an ongoing action. Uh, following is an ongoing action. We need to respond. We need to be obedient, but following is an ongoing action. It's one of the things that frustrates me with people that will come and they'll raise their hands. They say, I want to be a Christian. And they'll come up here and they'll give their lives to Jesus. And then we never see him again. Uh, the, salvation isn't superstition. It's the same thing with baptism. You don't get baptized and go into the water and you go and you live to yourself. It's a starting point. Uh, followership is an ongoing action that we do to follow Jesus. These guys said yes to Jesus, then they followed Jesus. And we see it throughout the gospels that Jesus demands that we continue to follow him. John twelve twenty six. if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor Following Jesus is a constant, all-day, everyday endeavor. We must never quit and ever give up, ever. And I've seen, like, throughout my life uh, of serving God, I've seen many people that have given up on serving God. And I will tell you why. It's because serving God's hard. And anybody that says that it's not is not giving it its true diligence. It's hard to, to make the things of God the biggest priority in your life. It, it, it takes your relationships and it takes your time and it takes your finances. It takes all these other things. And some people just get to a point where like, you know what, man, this is dumb. Like, I want to go back to my old life. I want to have my old life and I want to do things my, uh, my own way. But it doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't really pan itself out in the, in the scriptures to say that that's the way that God wants us to be. And, and, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why it's hard is it's hard because you never know what God is going to require of you. You give yourself over to the great unknown to say, you know what, Jesus, my life is yours. And whatever you require of me, whatever you ask of me, wherever you take me, I will go. And that's a scary, scary thing. Uh, the, the, the scriptures look, look at Abraham. Uh, Hebrews 11, 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place which he should receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Isn't that the story of us as well? We never know where Jesus is going to take us. We never know what he's going to require of us, but we give ourselves over to it anyway and say, you know what, Jesus, you led me away from sin. You saved me from myself and, and, and you've led me well. And so I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust where you're leading me. I'm going to trust where you're taking me. I'm not going to fight you. I'm just going to go wherever you are going. And uh, I will tell you that, that the following Jesus life is the best life. Amen. It really is. But it takes diligence every single day to do so. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23, I think it is, says that you pick up your cross daily. Pick up your cross daily. And, 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 and this, is, this is what some people don't realize is that they look at some people that, that are walking with God and they think that somehow there's some special gifting or some special thing where, oh man, I wish I could follow God like they follow God. And it's really just being dumb enough to do it daily. 
there's no special anointing to it. You just keep showing up. You just read your Bible every day and you go when the church is open and you, you know, you, you, you trip, you fall, you dust yourself off, you ask for forgiveness and you just keep rolling. You turn around, you've been serving God for 20 or 30 years and you're just like, man, look at what God has done in my life. There's no, there's no secret sauce to it. The secret is you just die daily. You just die daily. Taking up that cross is death to self. It's death to your own plans. It's death to your own dreams, to your own wants. And for some people, it's really hard. Why? Because we all want our own lives. We, we the, the idea and the dream of giving it all up and having a YouTube channel out on a sailboat. I mean, it seems like, doesn't that seem a whole lot funner than driving in traffic and paying bills? Like it does to me, but God's like, you know what? No, like, what are you talking about? How can you be a Christian by yourself on the open seas? There's nobody, there's no unsaved people out in the middle of the Pacific. It's just you living for yourself, your own dream. Cause you want to hold on to your own life. Maybe I should unsubscribe to that channel. <laughs> Fantasy is too close. But that's why it resonates with people. It really is. First Peter 2.21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And what were his steps? Following the Father's will. Following his plan. Giving up his life. A woman to obey. <laughs> a, will, a, a, a will to obey. A woman to love. Right? A work to do. Not a woman to obey. <laughs> Best thing crystals heard all day. Wounds obey. Are you dying daily? Are you crucifying the flesh daily? Do you remind yourself of your call? Do you remember that day when you became a Christian where you threw down your life and you said, Jesus, whatever it is that you require of me, I will do. You meant it when you said it. Then a few years go by and you're just like, well, can we make a readjustment? Can we do something else? Following Jesus' life is the best life. And here's what's interesting is that everybody knows what submission looks like. You know what submission looks like at work when the person submitted to the boss? You know what submit, you know what uh, submitted children look like and submitted Christians and uh, you know what submission looks like, but then we want to pretend and say, well, I'm going to live my life a different way and I'm not going to be submitted when everybody around you knows when you're not submitted. Uh, the, the only path is submission. I'm going to share with you guys a funny story to illustrate a point. Is that okay before we get out of here? All right. So, uh, when I was in college, um, I lived in the dorms. And if, if you've never been on a dorm floor with 40 guys, it stinks. Like it's a sweaty mess on that place, right? And so what would happen is, is that we all had roommates and you'd be in a room and then every once in a while someone would come into your room and they would be like, dude, your room stinks, bro. Like what's going on here? Like, well, does it stink? Like when you're in your own filth, you can't really smell it. And so you're like, yeah, I guess it does. I think it does kind of smell. And so if someone said, you come in and you clean all your laundry because you hadn't done it for a few weeks and then you empty your garbage and you wipe stuff down. But on our floor, it was weird because you would be there and then you do all that. And then people come in your room like, dude, your room still stinks. What are you guys doing in here, man? Like, I don't know, man. I cleaned it all up. We opened the windows, but I guess it's just going to stink in this room. And what we found out um, a long time later is that there's this guy on our floor that whenever anybody did anything wrong to him that he didn't like, he had this jar that he called the hell jar. And he would put like old milk in there and, and, and like old pieces of meat and just let it, fer- and it was a mason jar and he just let it ferment underneath. His- it was this rotten, pungent, like just 
cesspool of rottenness that he kept in this jar. And so if you wronged him, he would take one of those black film canisters and he would fill it up. And then when you weren't there, he would go into your desk drawer and he would tape it on the back of your desk drawer. So you couldn't find where this thing was. He was like, gosh, I can smell it. But where is this thing? Right. And so it just make your room smell like curdled milk and rotten flesh. It was the worst. So this other guy's room, uh, we had those like uh, 12 inch acoustical tiles on our ceiling. Do you guys know these ones with the white dots in them? And, and so the way that they were set up is that if you drank a soda can and then you kept the tab up, you could put it in the ceiling. So these guys uh, loved Mountain Dew and they had literally hundreds of uh, cans of Mountain Dew on their ceilings because they would get done. They put it in. It's really funny, right? You walk in their room, hundreds of cans of Mountain Dew. So one day we're all sitting around hanging out in the room and I don't know, there's probably half a dozen guys were sitting there. Another guy came in and had a stick. Why? Because of course he had a stick. And uh, every story I tell is 100% true. It's true. And so he's sitting there and we're all talking and there's the guy sitting on the bed, Bobby sitting on the bed and this guy starts hitting these cans just playing around. Ding, 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 dunk. That one was full of, with the hell and it fell down and landed on top of Bobby and spilled all over Bobby. And Bobby's like, ooh, ooh. And he runs as fast as he can to the shower, fully clothed, just like, ah, get it off me, get it off me. It was a disgusting, disgusting day. Why, why, why do I share that story with you? One, it's a great story. It really is. But rebellion stinks. Rebellion stinks. See, see, I tell these funny stories, but it's not just because it's a funny story. It's because I want you to remember that story so that when you think about rebellion, rebellion is like the hell bucket. It just stinks, man. And everybody thinks it stinks and nobody likes it. Like it's just what it does, man. But obedience has a sweet aroma. It really does. Obedience is the pathway. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Just follow Jesus, submit to him, love him, love being submitted, love following him. Praise God we have a savior. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Will you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. I'd like to introduce you to him. You've been hearing a story this morning about obedience and following Jesus. And what a greater day, no greater day than today to give your life to Jesus. And it's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you're giving your life to Jesus or you haven't. If you're watching online or if you're sitting here this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's really quite simple. You just have to admit, you have to say, you know what? I am a sinner who needs a savior. I don't want to, I don't want to live to myself anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm ready to take up that cross. And if you've never made that decision before and you would like to do it for the first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I'm ready to become a Christian. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the first time? Hand held high. Now, maybe you've already made that decision before, but you've been lost. Say, man, I don't, I don't know what happened, pastor, but I, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus years ago, but now I've lost my way. And, but today I'm going to, I'm going to submit to Jesus. I'm coming back. I, I'm, I'm going to follow him. I haven't been obedient, but I'm going to be obedient now. And I'm not talking about a bad couple weeks. I'm talking about years. You've been away from Jesus. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus today, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you as well. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I see that hand. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Tell him right now that you wish to be in his arms again. He's been behind you. Just turn around, fall into his arms. The Bible said that when you were his enemy, he loved you. How much more so now that he calls you son and daughter? Four hands raised this morning to rededicate their lives to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Let it be real. Be obedient to what God has called you to. Father, we pray this morning that we would all walk in with you, God. Sacrificially, obediently, quickly, immediately, whatever you ask of us, God, we will do because we love you. Such a great gift you've given us of eternal life. How can we not live wholly and completely for you? Father, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.